Hi, welcome to Your Cron, short for Your Chronicles. I'm your host, Scott Pitney. Your Cron is a podcast where we chronicle ordinary people and their extraordinary stories. We refer to ordinary people on this show as people who are non-celebrities. Our goal is simple, keep our audience entertained and occasionally perhaps even inspire, motivate, or educate while our guests build their audio legacy via this unique opportunity. So let's get right to our next extraordinary story. All right. Well, very good. Well, Allison Rafferty, welcome to your cron. Thank you so much for being on the show. How are you doing this evening? Thank you for having me. I'm doing excellent. I'm excited to talk with you, Scott. How are you doing? I'm doing excellent as well. And so uh, just to give our listeners a little backstory about how we met, my wife, LaVon, and I were in one of my favorite places in the world in December, in Banff, Canada. Uh, it was actually my fifth trip there. I wanted to take my wife there. She'd never been there. So we were there on our wedding anniversary. And uh, I've been there three times in the summer, twice in the winter. And this time, it never got above zero. So is that normal, Allison, to be that cold? I know it's Canada, but really, I mean, it was below zero for like six days in a row. Yeah, it is pretty normal for it to get that cold. Right now, actually, it feels like spring. So I think it might have just been a cold spell, unfortunately. Um, it gets like negative 30 some, like Celsius sometimes. So it is, yeah, <laughs> the great white north for a reason. Right, right. So we... Um, we stayed at the hotel where Allison works and we had a, a great time chatting. And uh, one night when we were talking, it was a little, things were a little slow. And so um, she, as we were talking, mentioned riding her bike to uh, Vancouver. And I said, to Vancouver from where? And she said, from here in Banff. And I said, what? And so anyway, I'll stop that part of the story right there because uh, that's what we're going to talk about tonight, this incredible bike adventure mostly, but we'll get off into all kinds of things. Uh, wherever you want to go from there, Allison, is perfectly fine with me. But uh, just to give our listeners a little background on Allison, Allison Rafferty is 24 years old. She's raised in London, Ontario, and now resides in Banff National Park for the last three years, and she's passionate about snowboarding, traveling, and pushing herself to try new things. So, Allison, where would you like to begin this extraordinary bike adventure that we talked about when we were visiting? I guess it would start uh, a couple of years ago. Um, I was actually hitchhiking back from um, Revelstoke, British Columbia. Um, that's where I met someone who did a bike tour from Amsterdam to Paris. When he came back to Canada, he did another one just to go to university. So I thought, wow, like someone just as, as you can do it. I want to do something 
as crazy and like body pushing as possible. So I actually kept in touch with that person and um, seeing like him on social media daily um, was motivation to keep doing um, weird stuff. So I actually got hired at a bike shop um, for a couple months and that was like pretty much the preparation of it all. Um, I learned how to change like a bike tire, learned how to lube chains, like just the little tiny stuff that I knew I was going to need to survive going down highways and going through really secluded areas on my own. Um, yeah, so that was where the beginning really took off. So talk, go back to the hitchhiking for just a second. Um, that personally would scare me to hitchhike anywhere. Is that normal in Canada? Is that a normal thing? Or talk, talk about hitchhiking in Canada a bit. I feel like it's normal out west. Like, I wouldn't have done it, per se, in Ontario, just because it's super, I feel like, more populated with cities, and um, hitchhiking's not really, like, um, it's more frowned upon, I guess, out there. Where out west, um, I feel like there's not as many, um, like, big cities, and so there's more of a small town where I feel like everyone kind of has a mindset where everyone's kind of looking out for each other and they've all done it when they were younger. So most people who end up picking me up are people who have done it themselves. So <laughs> so it's just a, it's a cultural difference, I guess, between uh, Western and Eastern Canada. I mean, would you hitchhike in Eastern Canada? I feel like I, I would definitely do it now. Um, I have experience. Um, I've actually hitchhiked in New Zealand as well. I've done the North Island, did pretty much like a big loop. Um, so I feel like, yeah, it's, it's, on, it's honestly a better way to see local areas and get the kind of inside scoop of where to go. And you're, you get to hear the stories of the land you're traveling. It's almost like a unique experience, of course, with risk factors, but <laughs> as long as you're, you know, very smart about it gauge you know who you're getting into the car with everything's pretty good from there <laughs> yeah because they don't exactly have a uber sticker on their windshield or anything like that so how do you sort of size somebody up or sort sort of uh, get a feel for them uh, when they pull over to pick you up well i always like to make, i always like to make sure i know where they're going first I don't like to let them knowing my destination. Um, and then once I find out, you know, they're going the same direction I'm going, um, I don't have to give them a specific drop-off point. That way um, I'm kind of in control when I get out of the car. I also always have my phone on, so I allow them to know, like, on out there is wait. So um, if I go missing, you know, <laughs> someone's going to become looking. Um and yeah, you always have the option to say no. So just because somebody pulls over for you, a lot of the times you're going to be really excited. You're getting a little while, but you you always have the option to say no, right? So you don't always have to put yourself in a bad situation. Have you ever been in a situation that you felt a little uncomfortable as far as hitchhiking goes? No, actually. Um, I've always had really positive experiences, like, 
always keep in touch with the people afterwards and you know always, and it's always like a at least a couple of eyes so you definitely you definitely make a connection hmm. okay so the uh gentleman that gave you this ride uh talked about his biking experience and the next thing you're working at a bike shop uh, fill us in on on that uh did, was was getting the job at the bike shop was that part of the preparation uh, I, i'd like to hear a little bit about the preparation of sort of after you accepted this challenge of wanting to ride a bike uh talk about that a little bit well i've always i always had the the idea of doing the bike tour after meeting that um the fellow um hitchhiking he gave me the idea and it always was embedded in my mind so i was actually working at a hotel um in town um and i had to get a side job just for you know continuing funds and um, the bike job just happened to be so i was like you know what i might as well use this as a learning, you know, curve. Um, and when I got there, so many people were coming in and out of the shop, getting ready for a thing called um, the Continental Divide, or tours of the Continental Divide. And it starts from Banff, Alberta, and it goes all the way to the border of um, Mexico. And it happens every year, and you can tour it, or you can decide to race it, and you get, like, a little... GPS trackers so like your friends and your family can watch you on online and you know keep up with you see where you're camping all that kind of stuff and I was like wow like this is an amazing thing and people of all ages and races and everything were coming through the shop and getting getting excited and prepared so just seeing how they packed their bicycles and like what kind of equipment they were bringing and how many kilometers or miles they were doing a day, just hearing that, like, I was able to see, like, where a beginner should start. So every day I was kind of mapping out where I would go um, through, like, as I was staying at the bike shop, they, like, let me out my whole itinerary. So I had about two weeks' worth of where to go, where to camp, um, what happens if I miss that campsite? Should I go to a next one? Um, will there be any reception on that highway? How many days will I be without reception? Um, just those kind of little things that I thought, you know, would definitely like arise problems, but how I would like, you know, so being alone and, you know, kind of without a paddle so <laughs> um after a couple weeks of preparing like that i just started collecting supplies slowly um i was actually only working at the bike shop for a couple months so um i was just trying to get hands-on like learning how to do the tires and like uh, truing the bike uh, rims and everything so i got my, my bike all prepared and um, after that it was just a waiting game of leaving at the right time in the summer so i wasn't you know, messing around with too much wildlife on the roads. So tell me about your decision of, and it was, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was riding your bike from Banff to Vancouver, correct? 
Yep, I went to Vancouver and then I uh, took a ferry um, to the islands, um, Vancouver Island and Salt Spring Island. Okay. So you've worked in this bike shop a couple of months and you're taking all this in from customers that are uh, riding the Continental Divide and, and getting all this good information. How did you decide to go to Vancouver? Of all the places to go, um, why did you decide on Vancouver? Um, I actually decided um, to ride to Salmo, BC, which is about a seven-hour drive from Banff um, because there was a festival going on, and I had friends from Banff Island going there as well. Um, so that was my, my main goal was to get there, and I was actually going to ride back to Banff, but I decided, you know what? I'm already halfway to the coast. Why not keep going after the festival? So I had friends. I had a place to stay once I got there. It was just a matter of getting there. So, uh, yeah, after the after that was decided, I kept on mapping out after Salmo, BC. So, um, yeah, <laughs> that's how I became, uh, made a decision with the destination. So the festival was your destination, and then to get all the way to the Pacific Ocean was just a spur-of-the-moment decision that, to me, is just... Uh, fascinating because uh, you're on a bike I mean you know let's face it that's uh, there's no protection it, it on was, a bike um, the crazy part half halfway through is when my itinerary changed completely because after hearing um, stories and like advice from other travelers you, you start figuring out highways are safest and which which uh place has more viewpoints and where to camp and so my uh my second half of my itinerary I ended up just throwing out after the festival <laughs> and I just kind of went with it day by day <laughs> so you um decide to go to this festival you you already know you have a long bike ride uh tell us about preparing for that I know we talked a little bit about it the last time we saw you but uh for our listeners, tell us a little bit about preparing because there was some interesting stuff that occurred during that preparation, as I recall. Uh, like right away, um, do you mean like at the beginning of the trip? Right, before you, uh, just conditioning and that stuff, the, the preparation you did right around Banff, you uh, riding your bike and uh, I think you had an encounter uh, with uh, one of your local uh, uh, mammals there. Yeah, remember now. <laughs> Yeah, so I was just deciding to ride my bike down, like, there's a place called Vermilion Lakes just outside of Banff, takes you down the highway, gives you an option to turn down a scenic highway. When I was going down the scenic highway, I noticed, okay, it's closed. Kind of weird. So I turned around, uh, going back down through um, the wildlife corridor gate, um, which keeps the wildlife off the, the highway. Um, there's an older gentleman behind me, so I opened the gate for him, and uh, he's like, oh, did you see the wolf down there? I'm like, wolf? No, I, I didn't see one for, like, at all. And I turn around, and a couple, a couple, maybe six feet away from me is uh, a wolf. And I'm like, holy, like, is, is, is that it right there? <laughs> he's like, get on your bike, go, go. <laughs> and he's, like, 
playing the protective like dad role trying to get me ahead of him but <laughs> I told him like I have bear spray like I should be behind you um but the bear or, I mean not the bear the wolf wasn't uh bearing teeth or anything it was just kind of galloping behind us so we kind of slowed down to take it in like just the the colors of the coat like the grays and the black and the eyes of the animals so beautiful but then it started speeding up again and he's like okay let's get out of here like I've lived here for 45 years and I've never been that close to a wolf like there's obviously a sign (laughs) there something's not right here uh so that was an adrenaline rush and that was just an eye opener of what could happen on the road when you're not right next to a town. So <laughs> it was, yeah, that was like an exciting way to realize what I was getting myself into. <laughs> it it kind of reminds me of the joke. Uh, I don't have to outrun the wolf. I just have to outrun you, sir. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> right. After that experience with the wolf, did any doubt creep into your mind? Yes, I had no. I was actually um, probably too too high on adrenaline to really like let it sink in as like something super dangerous, as more like a rarity in the park where like a lot of people go their whole life without seeing a wolf. Where I was next to one, right? <laughs> um, it did make me think. Okay, I might need a little bit more than the the one can of bear spray so i got like a coyote mace which people are more recognized with as like using for (laughs) self-defense a handheld one um a little a little knife i like to think of it as a big side knife but everyone calls it a little baby knife when i show them (laughs) um and then a full can of bear spray which is like probably a a forearm's length um which yeah it's pretty heavy duty um, and I, that I felt like was the best way to prepare and just talking about it with other people, hearing other people's experiences, what, what to do in situations like, um, but yeah, I figured if I'm already scared of a wolf, like I'm never going to get there. <laughs> yeah. Um, have, have you ever sprayed the bear spray before just to test it? No, um, never had to do that. And never to test it just because I wouldn't want to risk it, like, falling in the wind and coming back at me. <laughs> um, the the directions are pretty simple, but it has a safety on it, and the safety glows in the dark, so you can easily pop it off, and um, you do need, like, a couple minutes of room between you and the potential bear or animal that you're trying to defend yourself. So the... Um, the, the the spray falls down onto them so otherwise it'll it'll totally um engulf you pretty much <laughs> so you and the bear will both be on the ground yeah because uh, i've used wasp spray before you know and we have wasps here in texas and you you know spray their nests and this wasp spray it's got like a i don't know about a 30 40 foot range on it and uh I guess, I I don't know what's in it, but, um, you know, even 30 or 40 feet is not far enough because they, they fly out of their nest and they want to, they're mad because you just sprayed them with a spray. So they want to, you know, so I'm curious how far that bear spray, for me, it would have to spray like a hundred yards. I mean, the thing could just, could not spray far enough. 
So that's why I asked the question. I was curious yeah. <laughs> how far that stuff actually Well, the spread. thing is, you hope you're just not in that position that you have to spray it. They, they recommend you to like make noise and make yourself look big and, you know, try to try to scare the bear away rather than have to spray because it might just kick them off. <laughs> you know, they might not, not, you know, totally be affected by it and um, they might retaliate. So it's, <laughs> it's like last resort, definitely. Yeah, and of course, we've all heard the when you're in when you have a bear encounter that you should play dead and i've always thought well it's really hard to play dead when my when i'm about to hyperventilate my heart's going about 150 miles an hour mm -hmm. so uh i don't know if that would work out very very well for me but um so you you had that encounter with the wolf uh any anything else you want to talk about as far as your training i'm training all like, uh, I didn't, I just kind of went with it. I figured if my body can't take it, like, it's going to have to. So after, after about, like, the third day, it felt normal. Like, I felt like, wow, like, I could keep going. Like, I, I, I mapped out my days a little shorter than I thought, like, I could handle. So, um, yeah, there was no real preparation other than, like, you know, safety, figuring out how much food to take a day, um, you know, the kind of gear I would need to keep lightweight. Um, I think I, I, I probably, being a new uh, cyclist, I guess, without much experience at all, uh, I probably used the silliest bike I could have. I used a flat bar um, road bike, which was a hybrid giant. And, um, I actually met some cyclists along the way who kind of giggled and they're like, what are you doing? <laughs> doing it on a hybrid. Like they were pretty like impressed, but also like, what? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I, if I were to begin, I would just get uh, the drop down handlebars um, and maybe get front panniers rather than just the back panniers so I can distribute out the weight a little more. And um, yeah, <laughs> that was like, all I really did for prep. So. Wow. That's impressive. So tell us about your first day on the road. What was that like? Uh, being on the road, I feel like was a lot of uh, mental games, um, not just physical. So my first day was probably the hardest day because I, I left a little late in the day and I was worried about uh, getting caught in the thunderstorm. And everyone had paranoid I was going to be riding in the rain for the first three days. Um, but I was like, you know what? I got this. No worries. Like, I've got a raincoat. I've got extra shelter. Like, everything's fine. Um, but I kept going. And I got to my first checkpoint where it was um, the first camp that I was supposed to stay at. But I felt like, you know, I got this. Like, I'm feeling really good. Google says the next campsite's only a couple, like, maybe 20K down the road. Um uh, it was a lot farther than 20 kilometers for me and um, the rain came and it brought down lightning and thunder and it was hectic it, my bike was like I felt like it was going sideways and truckers are going past blowing big gusts of wind at me to the point like I thought I could be going to the ditch and I'm, I'm thinking to myself 
oh my God, what have I done? I can't turn around. Oh, <laughs> man. Oh, and, but I kept, then I, sorry? No, uh, I, I just said, I, uh, oh my God. I sat down. I like literally ate a sandwich looking at the, like the, the sky and I seen like a little piece of blue and I was like, okay, I gotta keep going. Like I can sit here, can't camp in a ditch. <laughs> So I kept going, and sure enough, the skies broke through. It was blue skies. Everything dried up. I got to my campsite, like, got to build a fire. All the, all the wood was dry. It worked out. And the next, like, few weeks of riding, it was the best weather I could have asked for. So I got the bad out of the way the first day, got the mentality, like, scare, and, you know, it was shook up a little bit, but... I felt like, okay, I made it through this. What else could happen? <laughs> and that was day one. Day one, yeah. I was like, what have I done? <laughs> wow. So you were you were put to the test right away. And so you you saw the Definitely. blue sky. Yeah, you saw the blue sky. And, and it's like, man, it can't get much worse than that. So give us a feeling of day-to-day after that you know how many days did you ride uh how did you sleep where did you sleep just kind of routine stuff so because i'm a i'm a female alone in in bear country i decided to not wild camp i decided to make sure i was always in a campground like where i could lock my my food up and not have to hang it from a tree um so i Generally, we like wake up, pack up my stuff, get like breakfast in me, which is like meal and some fruit, and then ride for generally six hours. Um, and I would do that for about like three days worth. And I would have like the fourth day would be a rest day. Um, so yeah, I ride for yeah, averaging six hours a day, um, about sixty to eighty kilometers. I'm sorry, I'm not doing miles. <laughs> um, That's okay. We have calculators then, here. Uh, we'll figure it out. The el- sorry? I said, that's okay. We'll, we have calculators. We can convert here. Go ahead. Put the- <laughs> with the... <Fair> <laughs> uh, but yeah, they, and every day had a mountain pass to go through. And the mountain pass was about um, 1,200 meters high. Again, sorry, not feet. Um, and... Um, after the mountain pass, it was usually downhill to get to my campsite, which I kind of planned for the first half. Um, and it worked out mostly. Um, I actually um, was ahead of schedule at one point, so I had to start breaking my days up in half. Um, so I arrived at the festival at the right time and not three days early. <laughs> um, and the, um, the, the one, one of the biggest days, was one of the biggest hills and it was like I think the third biggest paved mountain pass in Canada and it's um just from Creston to um, Nelson and or sorry yeah no Creston Salmo Pass sorry um and they just call it the summit like all the locals just call it the summit and there's another way you can go around and take a ferry and then go that way but I decided to take the hard way. <laughs> and that was probably of course. the day because I went all the way to the top, had a nap at the top, and then the next, like, 
three hours was just downhill. <laughs> three hours of downhill. Well, that must have been a nice break. It was amazing. The views were incredible. The, the road was empty, so I could just, I was kind of going like in ends and just, I thought my chain broke at one point because I couldn't pedal because I was going so fast. Like, <laughs> I was like, woo! Like, and, and the, at the bottom of the hill was the festival I was arriving at. So it was just the best way to the first half of the trip. I was uh, cutting out a little there, but I was just saying I would love to do some more because the, the reward is like the view and the feeling when you are going down. So you just feel like a king. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and so you get to the festival and the people you were meeting there, they knew you were coming by bike, correct? Uh, no, they were um, coming by like cars and vans and all that. Um, some of them were involved with the festival too, so they were there. Um, yeah, when I met them all there, they had a camp pretty much set up, and I just kind of fit right in. It was um, it was a really emotional experience though, showing up and realizing wow like body brought me here like it was just it was really good and and then I had a week well not a week but mostly a week to hang out and dance and you know try to relax <laughs> um before I did the rest of the journey so it is a yeah definitely special and what was their reaction when you got there because they they knew the journey that you were taking on your bike right I was trying to keep everyone updated, like, on social media of, like, where I was. So no one was, you know, fearing for my safety. Um, so one of my friends seen that I got there, <laughs> the first thing they did was grab my leg on the tree trunks. And they were like, you did it! <laughs> That's <laughs> so, yeah, great. Yeah, there's a lot of excitement and people who say how proud they were. And, yeah, it was emotional. That's great. So you're you're partying with your friends, you're having a good time, and you've made this this huge journey. At what point did you decide at the festival, hey, I'm halfway to the Pacific Ocean, let's just keep going? And and how did you arrive at that decision? Was that a decision that you sort of struggled with or was just, just I mean, Allison, you seem like the type of person who just goes, you know what? I'm almost there. Let's just go. I mean, it's just like, is it pretty you, much? Yeah, that's kind of what I uh, I'm getting I, from you. Yeah, I was talking to a couple of friends there from the island, uh, Vancouver Island, and they just kept telling me so many stories about the beaches and the palm trees and the mountains, and we were already in such a beautiful place. So that's the festival. If I'm too tired, maybe someone will just put my bike on their on their RV and like I'll hitch a ride to the island with them. But then when I got there, I realized like it doesn't matter how fast I get there. Like it's just like getting there. Getting there was the fun part too. So I figured a couple more weeks on the road isn't a bad thing if the if I get to see my friends in the end, no matter what. So it was more motivation to see them and. Uh, the more people I spoke to at the festival, the more people that were like, oh, stop at my house along the way, stop here, stop there. So I did get to see um, 
some friends in Vancouver for a little before I went over to the island. So it just, yeah, just made the journey a lot more fun rather than just turning around and going back the same way I came. So besides the thunderstorm and the wolf, were there any more interesting encounters that uh, you'd like to tell us about? Uh, yeah, actually. Um, so the first day, actually, right before the thunderstorm, um, I did see a big black bear on the side of the road. Um, he was just doing you know, something, though, so I I just kept going. Didn't even want to try and stop and take a photo because that was my first time seeing a bear when I was not in a vehicle. <laughs> um, and then I actually seen another black bear the day after the festival when I decided, okay, just going on this like highway that someone recommended and it's a back road kind of highway. It's just two lanes, one way each way. And, um, there wasn't many cars on the road and this black sticks his head out of the side, um, just barely over the bush looks both ways. And I'm like, Oh God, it's seen me. So I grabbed my bear spray and I got it in my hand, but I'm going uphill. So I'm going very slow. And this RV comes out of nowhere and he's cruising behind me, rolls down his window and asks, hey, did you see that black bear? <laughs> I sure did. So I don't mind riding beside you for the, the next little bit. <laughs> I'm like, dude, like, I felt safer. And then the black bear crossed the road and he had like a little bit of a hurt paw and he was limping. So the, the driver was like, you are so lucky. Like, you could have been easy, easy food for the guy. So... Mm. Um, yeah, that was like a little, like, woo, little adrenaline rush right after the festival and being all tired and stuff. So, um, yeah, he ended up riding with me for like just a little while, maybe 20 minutes up the hill and then went on his way. And, uh, yeah, that was, that was an experience. Um, I was like kind of watching my back every, every now and then thinking another one was going to pop out. Um, and then another experience where it was totally out of my control, um, I was going up this one mountain um, called the Anarchist um, Summit. And uh, it was my longest day. It was 127 kilometers. It was supposed to be an eight-hour ride. Um, I went, I got up to the very top, and the sun was setting, and I was, like, just so excited because it was, it was a painful ride. It was very curvy at the um like traverses um and i when i got to the top there was a row of vehicles up there and they're all clapping and screaming and like hollering for me and i'm like what? yeah. <laughs> what's going on here uh-huh. and they're giving me candy and pop like snacks and stuff and i'm like it felt like i was like at the end of a race or something <laughs> And then they're like, we've been here for hours wondering when you're getting here. And I'm like, oh, okay, why? What's up? And unfortunately, there was a, a an accident on the highway where like, a helicopter had to come and clear uh, the victims and stuff. But um, mm. So all the people on the side of the road were, have been bonding for the last, like, four hours. And mm. I got to join them for the next four hours. <laughs> so we're all sitting on the side of the highway as the sun's setting, and I'm trying to figure out do I pitch my tent or what do I do? Mm. Um, talking to the firefighter, the firefighter told me I could go camp at his friend's house, which was like uh, four kilometers down the road, just as long as like everything was cleared. But this highway has no traffic lights or like no, no street lights. It's very dark. 
and a lot of transport trucks use it. Mm. So I didn't want to ride as fun set. So I actually got a ride down the hill for three kilometers to the next like pullout station. Mm-hmm. Um, pitched my tent there with a total stranger and watched uh, a meteor shower, which and it, it was uh, August, I believe, 13th or August 12th, because there's a meteor shower every year um, around that time. So I happened to just like remember it was that date, looked up, and you know, I felt like if I had kept going down that hill that day with no traffic, I wouldn't have been looking up I would have been in my tent and sleeping already so the fact that I was just like a reminder to like slow down and you know look up once in a while <laughs> slow down and smell the roses as they say um, yeah pretty much yeah so take the good with the bad <laughs> right find find the positive so a lot of nights in a tent some nights with friends at any point, did you go, man, I, you know, I just want to get to like a city and I want to check into a hotel. I want to get into a hot tub. I want to go have a nice dinner. I'm going to have some drinks. <laughs> I want to, I want to get out of this for actually, a day or two. Um, pretty much happened, but like against my like will, <laughs> um, I um, got a little sick after, um, after that big hill, um, going down to Soyuz, I, um, the doctors, they told me I had bronchitis and I was like, I don't want to stop riding. Like, that's not what I want to do. I only have a few more days to get to the coast. I'm so close, but I called my dad and I told him like, I think I'm going to just have to stop here. I was in, um, Princeton, BC and my dad was so kind and actually, um, surprised me by booking a hotel for me so I could let like the antibiotics kick in and rest for like a full like 24 hours. And and then I went back on the road. (laughs) He was like, are you sure you don't want a couple more days? He's like, no, I'm determined. I'm I'm ready. So yeah, that was a little bit of a a delay detour, but it was nice. It was nice to stop, let my body kind of catch up and get back on it. Your dad is thinking exactly the way I'd be thinking if you're my daughter. Not only would I book a hotel, but I'd also send a plane ticket and tell you to pack up and come on back. But <laughs> anyway, that's that's just a dad being a dad. <laughs> yeah, it was, a, it was really how my dad was um, following me. He's like, he has a map at home because he, he's in Ontario, so he's like on the other side of the country. He had a map and he was like pinpointing my little, like, like line that I've been going through Alberta and BC. So it was cute how he was following me in his, his old ways. <laughs> but yeah, super thankful he did that for me because otherwise I think it would have just been painful going through the last leg of the trip. Yeah. So you get to the Pacific coast. Give us a, a sense of what your feeling was like uh, when you got there. Uh, the first the first smell of the ocean was just like, it was just the best feeling ever because I knew I was just getting so much closer, so much closer to seeing my friends, so much closer to feeling like I actually, you know, got to the finish line. Um, it was surreal. And then, but the difference between 
going through like the mountains to get to the coast is like you're you're you still have to go through the cities right so going through the country and all these small towns and little tiny highways and then all of a sudden it opens into like four lane traffic and you know big trucks and it got a little overwhelming i was like whoa like we're not in Kansas anymore, kind of thing. Like, <laughs> I uh, had to get real quick. Had to remember all my like little city hand signals and remo- maneuvering around traffic with my big panniers on my back. And um, getting through the city pro- was probably the hardest thing. Because <laughs> like trying to follow map to the ferry was like it was sending me through all these like twists and turns and. Um, so yeah, it was even more rewarding when I got on the ferry and I knew I was, you know, like, woo, this is it. <laughs> Get the other side, a couple more hours of riding, and then I'm on the beach. <laughs> yeah, so you're you're there and you're at the beach and and uh, what did what did you do your first day when you got to the beach? Um, actually, I uh, so I was in Victoria, um, Vancouver Island. Um, had some friends living there, so they they got me all around and they took me to their favorite spots. Like I'm seeing palm trees in Canada. Like this, there's something different. <laughs> um, That's interesting. My legs were liking to walk again. <laughs> they kind of felt like uh, so. It was good to be just walking around, taking the time. Nowhere to be. Not worried about the sun setting. Not worrying about if there's a bear behind me. <laughs> Yeah, just relaxation. So you obviously burned a hell of a lot of calories every day. Uh, what what kind of uh, changes did your body go through over this trip? Well, I ate so much food, and then I continued to eat so much food. <laughs> so I, my appetite grew, and then it was just, yeah, I... I obviously was nourishing my body with like what it needed while I was on the road, but whenever I had a break, it was like bakes and <laughs> it was like a, a cheat day pretty much. Because on the road, I was only I only had about three days worth of food on me at a time, so then I could go like to the next town and restock. So it would often be like you know granola bars and cereals and oats and fruit, easy stuff to carry around, but. You know, not the most exciting meals. So, um, yeah, when I got a break, it was nice to be able to, like, go into a bar or a restaurant or, you know, make myself a meal in someone's kitchen rather than over the fire. So it was nice, though. I miss I miss living in a tent. <laughs> in a way, it was much simpler. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what new things do you want to push yourself to do? I just want to keep weird things like this. I want to do another bike tour, but I also want to do like a hiking escapade in the same way. Um, Like I've had friends uh, walk from France to Spain and, you know, I want to do something like that, like something organic, like your body allows you to do and, you know, you can take your time and see everything that you don't see when you're moving too fast. Hmm. Well, Allison, um, this has been an amazing uh, journey for me. I've really enjoyed chatting with you uh, just as much as as when we met you. I I think you're a fascinating person, uh, and and you've got a lot of great things ahead. And my gosh, you're only 
24 years old and look what you've already done, you know, so, uh, I'm excited for you and, and I really appreciate you, you being on our podcast. Uh, the last question I have is, um, if you can kind of imagine maybe hearing your great grandparents or somebody three, four generations ago telling a story like you're telling tonight, if you can imagine for your future kids, possibly grandkids, etc., if they're listening, what life lesson or memory do you want them to take from this story uh, or just about you in general? I would, I would love it if, if it was just even something as small as let people call you crazy. Let, let it motivate you. Let that happen. And, and, you know, even if you find yourself calling yourself crazy, go with it, push yourself. It's like, what, what's the worst that could happen? <laughs> right. That's, that's, that's the way I would want. And I'd hope they would uh, take that as a, a little life lesson. <laughs> Well, that's great. I, I will certainly take that as a life lesson for myself. And uh, again, Allison, thank you very much for being a guest on, on the show and uh, all the best to you in your future adventures. Thank you. It was so lovely to meet you both. And yeah, what an experience to be able to share uh, my story with you. <laughs> thank you for the opportunity. Absolutely. Absolutely.